For more than a decade, FTI has strived to become the leader in the aftermarket, performance, transmission, and converter industry. We've joined forces with McLeod Driveline Components under the leadership of Top Fuel Funny Car Pilot Paul Lee, and now have a larger distribution network, more resources, and more power. Come see us in the pits and ask how you can join the FTI family. It's not cheating. It is the competitive edge. It's time for an inside look at the most powerful motorsport on the planet. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro. This is WFO Radio. Hey everybody, welcome back. WFO Radio is back on the air following up the Summit Racing Equipment NHRA Nationals out there at Summit Motorsports Park. America's Racetrack, where I ate three pints of ice cream, one for each day, right? Not a big deal, but had a great time. Hopefully you did too. The race was incredible. Yes, marred by rain a little bit on Friday, but other than that, we got it in. We got everything in. We saw Nitro at night. You give something to get something. We had our Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. I just finished up with Michael Heiner. We did Hear It From Heiner for the WFO Patreons. A full breakdown on their race weekend where they got their first Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge win, but lost second round to eventual race winner Matt Hartford in the Sunday race, Camping World Series Pro Stock. Blake Alexander gets a win with Jim Head. That's huge. Leah Pruitt beats Austin Prock and Justin Ashley in route to victory. That's massive. Hector Arana Jr. goes out there, gets the job done. Mentioned Hartford already. Plus, Lauren Freer doubles up for the first time for a lady racer ever. History. We witnessed it. Bob Bakash finally broke through. Bruno got a win. Just so many great things. I could list every stat that happened over the course of the weekend. We're going to break it all down with the voice of the NHRA, Alan Reinhardt, going to join us just seconds from now. We're going to go through the whole deal. We're going to have a couple of shows later this week, but you've already are, are loaded up with content. Like the Ignition show was so much fun because it was total. There was no preparation at, at all. It was drop the bag, fire up the show, get on the audio only podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud. Michael Heiner was on there. Sue Morris was on there. Bobby Graham was on there. We just kicked it about all the stuff that went down and we kicked it about some stuff that didn't necessarily go down. It was really fun. So for you audio only folks out there, go check out that show. And uh, it was good stuff. Let me tell you about the people who make it possible. I know right at the start of every podcast, they're listening and listing the people who make it possible, but that's how we do the show. It's as simple as that. Like the folks at Foggit, Gary Stinnett, Steve Williams. This is for Lucas Oil Series racers, bracket racers. Gary was giving me the update to the Anson Brown $75,000 win a couple of weeks ago last week and talking about bracket racers. Let me talk to you bracket racers real quick. This is just as important for you. You don't want downtime in your car. You want to protect the inside of your cylinder walls. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's not expensive at all. It's like a minimal expense to protect the inside of your cylinder walls and your homes uh, from microscopic corrosion. That's going to force you to have to go through the rebuild process sooner rather than later. So just use the, the product. F-O-G-G-I-T, and for you divisional racers out there, take advantage of the contingency program. Go to Foggit.com to find out more. FTI Performance Transmissions and Torque Converters. 
Oh, yes. Big power. Pro modified. Top sportsman. Top dragster. These guys make the torque converters and automatic transmissions that stand up to the power, but also remain incredibly consistent and uh, enable the racers with them to win. Just look at the dot 90 categories, the big money bracket categories, go to ftiperformance.com. Paul Lee had a brand new helmet this weekend, uh, rocking the FTI logos, a Jaron settles sure shot, by the way, uh, ftiperformance.com. Go check them out. It was, uh, it was a big weekend for the folks at total seal. Big weekend for a lot of WFO affiliated folks, honestly. Total Seal Piston Rings. There is a new podcast and live stream up and available on all the Total Seal social channels. But of course, Hidden Horsepower, Apple Podcasts again, Spotify, SoundCloud. Billy Godbold, who was the, you know, the brainiac behind comp cams for so many years, now has Godbold Engineering. Lake Speed, Ben Strader, talking about the folly of A-B testing. That it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to come out with a better part at the end because it's not part versus part. It's system versus system because everything works together. And so if that makes your toes tingle a little bit, and so many have been reaching out about the conversation, honestly, I have very little to do with it other than facilitating it. But man, when these smart guys get to talking, it's awesome. That's when I enjoy it the most because I, I am maybe light years behind them in brain power. But I'm scrappy, and so I will try to learn as much as I can, and I, I recommend it to all you folks as well. And when it's time to purchase a ring package for your engine or your customers, more importantly, reach out to the folks at Total Seal, totalseal.com. We're going to connect with Hartford on Thursday at 12 noon. Hartford, Thursday, 12 noon, working on Blake Alexander as well in that same slot. going to try to get Blake, 12.20 p.m. Eastern on Thursday it is. And I just, I got a great story about Blake that I'll share with you at that time. Uh, but congratulations to the Total Seal team on a huge victory in their best season ever, taking back second in the point standings. Another great season that's happening is Justin Ashley. For the first time this year, this was an Alan Reinhardt sure shot. For the first time this year, Justin Ashley has lost in a round other than the first round. And it was in the final round. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy stat. If they get by first round, they win the race. And this, in this case, they got to the final round and lost to Leah. It's all because of the folks at Phillips Connect. And Justin will tell you that. Phillips-connect.com, if you're in the transportation industry, smart trailer technology, keeping your loads safe, keeping your loads on time, keeping your people on time, keeping your people and the people around them safe, you should do it. And if you would like a personalized introduction, email me, joe, at wforadio.com. Phillips Connect on board with WFO, as is Bernie Speed Shop. B-O-R-N-Y-Z-Z.com, Josh Hart's company, 100,000 square feet. If you have a classic muscle car you want to sell or an exotic or a luxury car, they do all of that stuff. If you're looking to buy, you can reach out to them and check out their inventory on their social media. They do. They sell e-bikes. They've got so many different things going on in their 100,000 square foot uh, location up there in Ocala, Florida. Go to Bernie's.com. For me, though, just follow them on their social media and the rest tells the tale. Go to Bernie's on Instagram and Facebook and wherever you can find them. Later on in the show, we'll tell you about Sam Tech. We'll tell you about Frank Hawley. We'll tell you about Marvin Rodak. And I'll tell you how you can become a Patreon and hear the amazing pro stock discussion that we just had with Michael Heiner. It is up. It is available. It is fresh. And I will be sending out T-shirts this week to anybody who signs up for a year as a WFO Patreon at any level. All right, let's bring on the voice of the NHRA. So much to talk about. Alan Wright. 
Oh, he's not ready. Hey. He's mostly ready. You're ready enough. Uh, no, I'm, I'm ready. I was just checking to see if I had a last-minute update that I was hoping I would get before we started the show, and it hasn't, oh. hasn't come through. Yeah, okay. I've been checking for some updates as well. Um, can you share what the update was related to? Drag racing, of course. No, no. I'm just um, – I am almost positive. With Joe Swanson winning in Top Dragster now that he and his wife have both won national events, and they're certainly not the first – husband and wife to have both won, but there aren't a hundred of them. And I thought there was a comprehensive list somewhere. Uh, I'm sure there is, but I haven't been able to find it. So I reached out to see, I mean, you know, it just, again, I just think that, you know, that's something that not a lot of married couples have done, that both of them have won a national event as a driver. So I was just wondering how long that list was, and I was hoping I could find out. I had a great moment with those two as we're getting ready for the finals. They were getting ready to get photos taken. Joe was in the car. Afton was right there. And they are, you know, not all husbands and wives are, um, they're definitely bonded by the law and by marriage, but I can't think of these two without each other, right? Like, I don't think of Joe and Afton. I think of Joe and Afton. And uh, I don't know, that might be a little weird, but we were both fortunate enough to be there for her first win out there in Kansas. And now Joe's got to win too. And they are so cute. I don't know if they like that, but they are so cute. Well, when you race your wife round one, and beat her, you better come back with a trophy at the end of the weekend or else. And uh, that's what Joe did. You know, I mean, motivation, right? I, I always wonder <clears throat> I always wonder what it's like when you get back to the motorhome, you know, like when Matt and Angie Smith race head-to-head or when uh, when other, you know, power couples have to, have to race each other on the racetrack. And it's like, man, it had to be kind of an interesting dinner tonight um, because it's not like you can escape, right? You're both staying in a motorhome at the racetrack. You can't just go, oh, well, you know, I'll go get my own room. No, you won't. Um, and it's, I just think that's kind of an interesting dynamic. But uh, I, was ha- I was happy for Joe uh, that he was able to close the deal and, you know, save his marriage. Exactly. And save his marriage because he won the race. <laughs> that's great. Afton's totally cool with it. We got a lot of people in the comment section weighing in. Guys, remember, we ask you to share the show on whatever social or wherever you're watching so we can break through the algorithm uh, that holds us back. It's holding us all back, you know, like we'll let you show your show be seen by 10% of the people who follow you at any given time. And it's terrible. The only thing that helps us get through that powers through is the overwhelming sharing of it all. So well, there's so many great things to talk about, but it's not always that the power of the Lucas oil series stories is at very least equal or maybe even greater than the Camping World Series stories. But that uh, you mentioned Joe Swanson, but Lauren Freer becoming the first female to double in NHRA history, that's huge. Bob McCosh finally breaking through. This guy was being tortured by the racing gods, man. They were just like kicking him and kicking him. And he finally broke through. And all these cool things, they happened at the same event at the House of Bader. Yeah, you know, Kurt Wolf getting his first one uh, in the alcohol dragster, and he certainly hadn't been chasing it as long and as hard as Bob McCosh has, but your first win is always still a pretty special thing. So there was there was just a lot of really good, you know, kind of feel-good moments, if you will. And I'm also glad that we got to run them on Sunday. You know, at one point, for people that don't know, um, you know, looking at the forecast and looking at things, and, and it had been discussed and was actually, the plan was in place, to run to conclusion on Saturday night uh, with the sportsman racers, like we've done at a few races in the past, which I understand 
the reasoning behind it. I understand the logic behind it. When we have bad weather on Sunday, you know, the sportsmen are really kind of going to get pushed aside a little bit because the camping world has to make their TV window. But you really miss out on having the opportunity to race in front of the full grandstands and to have a moment in the sun there. Um, we didn't do the, the typical parade of champions, but they did get to race in front of the crowd. Most of them towed back up in front of the crowd, so they got to take a moment to be acknowledged there. And I just really liked that extra dynamic. You know, if if Bob McCosh wins a race, and the alcohol wasn't going to run to conclusion on Sunday, but if Bob McCosh wins the race and doesn't get to come back down there and have that moment with you on the return road and salute the fans, I just think that takes a little something away from the experience. And I believe it for all the fans, you know, even... You know, Lauren Freer gets to parade down with both cars and get acknowledged. And I think that the, I just think that's a big part of the experience, especially when you when you either win for the first time or when it's a big milestone. And had they run the final round, it would have been at like, you know, call it 1 a.m. Maybe, maybe later. Like they, that, was, later. that was a good call because we had made that plan. But. You know, I don't know what time you rolled out of there. I rolled out a, like as we were wrapping and it was 1220 or something like that was a long well, day. From seven. I posted a picture of the final two cars leaving the starting line. That was 1233. Yeah. So, you know, save the finals. And we got to run the finals. And then like Jason Scruggs did the longest winter interview ever. We had like <laughs> it was like a Barbara Walters special. I was trying to get him to cry down there because we had like 20 minutes to fill. And so I just kept popping him with questions. What about this? What about that? Where have you been? All that stuff. So without those finals, oh man, it would have been even more different. Let me ask you this though. You're a racer. As Lauren Freer, when they said, guys, we're going to run the semifinals and then that's it. We'll come back. We'll run the finals tomorrow. Are you happy about that or not? You know, when, when you're in the zone, when you're rocking along, when you're just like, okay, get the other car, let's go. Win. Get the other car, let's go. Win. Get the other car, let's go. Do you want to take a break? Or would you rather keep the ball rolling and keep the momentum going while you're on a hot streak? I mean, it ended up working out just fine for her. But I really wonder about that, about how many racers are going, come on, I, let's do this. Let's do it. Right. I'm feeling it right now. Let's go. And then it's like, oh, come back tomorrow. I, I agree with, with what you just said. Probably in the moment was against breaking the, the chain, right? You know, everybody knows the mush at the craps table. Like somebody, you know, like, hold on, we're going to come and see what's going on with you guys to ice you. Right. Like the, after you're rolling, the dice are hot and they want to ice you down, going to bed and waking up the next morning. Things things could be different tomorrow. You might not be feeling it, but who knows what's good or bad in the moment. And she pulled it out and had double O light in the final round of super gas. I don't know what it was in super comp, but in super gas uh, it was I think she was double O six or double O seven. She was just in the zone. Well, Supergas was double O. They were both double O in the final round. It was just a tremendous race, and she came out on the right side of it. And she wasn't quite that solid in Supercomp, but, uh, you know, good enough to make it work. So it was just, you know, great day for her. She hadn't won a national event in like six or seven years. And then to bust out and win two of them like that was a you know, kind of cool moment for her. She also hadn't won, I believe it was Supergas. She hadn't won in Supergas. She had won in Top Dragster in Supercomp, I think. So, uh, it was anyway, it was her third category, whether it was super gas or super comp. One of them was her it was first time to win in that category. So that moves her into the I've won in three different categories club also. Well, exactly. And, you know, I, I these lists, right? Who cares about them? It's just that every single sports show network survives on making these lists like greatest 
uh, female Lucas Oil Series competitor, right? Like who knows what that list is? I've never really thought about it. But when you're in three different categories with wins and you're the first and only to ever double up, you're part of the conversation. That's, you know, that's all like the day that someone decides to have that conversation. Lauren Freer is going to be one of the names that is listed, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, you know, great day at the office when it's been that long since you've won to come out and bust out and win two of them. Uh, I'm sure that she's, you know, trying to figure out when can I race again soon? Right. It's, I don't know what her what I don't know what her schedule would have been. But I'm thinking, you know, if her next thing is like, OK, well, you know, we're not going to run again until, you know, the Charlotte Fall event. If I'm her, I'm going um, Columbus, the Sports Nationals. Find me a place. Right. We're going someplace to go race. Yeah, ab absolutely. So lots of Lucas Oil stuff. We'll get into it a little bit uh, more so. Do want to mention, though, uh, every weekend's got to have a down, a down moment. And learning of the news of the passing of Kathy Maynard, just uh, it was it was stark. It was tough. Uh, Joe Maynard is a guy who kind of has come onto the scene recently and had a dramatic effect on the sport of NHRA drag racing. And that has only happened, as I understand it, because Kathy is so passionate in love with the sport that the first time she saw Tony Schumacher in a top field dragster, it was the joke that you always make. I got to have me one of those. And she did and is, and she got to come in and, you know, the, the limited times that I engaged with her, they were wonderful and she, they made things better. But right now, that family going through a very tough time, and it kind of was part of the event as the news kind of broke through the, the field and, and then became public on Sunday and just uh, such great people. And I know that they're hurting, and I, wanna, I want to acknowledge it. Yeah, I agree. And I also didn't have a lot of interaction with Kathy. There was a few times uh, you know, over the course of the last year or so that we would have an occasion to be together. And she just reminded me, and I think probably everybody knows somebody like this. Uh, you know, she had been fighting MS for 35 plus years, and she was obviously struggling a little bit with it, at, at, you know, as it went further and further along. But she was a person that when you would interact with her, even though you knew that she was really, really struggling, her goal in life was to make you feel better. Yes. You know, not not to, you know, she didn't want any kind of pity, any kind of sympathy, and even though you knew that she was having such a difficult time, it was her goal to make you feel better. And people like that are just very special. I think she's, uh, you know, she's definitely going to be missed, but she's certainly not going to be forgotten. No, definitely not. And and uh, Joe and Joe, because they're just like my dad and me, right? They name, when you're named Joe, there's a good chance you're going to name your kid Joe. I don't know why. But um, just again, great people who have dived into the sport of drag racing in a big, big way. And um, they are hurting now and we're hurting along with them, but that's what drag racing is for to, to work through it. Um, and that was the tough, tough event on the weekend. Got a lot of comments out there in the comment section there, Alan. And a lot of them are about factory X. That was pretty interesting. It's up on the, the attention in the pits bonus feature that uh, Nikki Sheely and I did in the Stanfield pit. I know I did my own videos everybody. I know loans did a video. All of the factory X videos of the exact same car are going like gangbusters out there on the social because everyone is so interested. But the one that matters the most is the one that is on NHRA.com. So everybody go check it out right now and watch it to its completion. Just because it's yours. Yes. 
Yeah, okay. nice hit. <laughs> that's Great. why it's the one that matters the most because it's the one you did. Honestly, I would love the one that's <laughs> up on WFO Radio to do well too. But since they put it on the front page of NHRA.com, and we do feature so many really neat cars of the NHRA on that attention in the pits feature, they watch it once. I know, I know, YouTube is going to show it to them again in the future when we do something new. Um, but what was your take? You know, we've seen Turk's car uh, at PRI, mm-hmm. but this was on the track. And it got down the track. The clocks were off. People are speculating about the time in the chat section right now. They're all like speculating. Greg told me he lifted early. So whatever ET they saw is not even accurate. But um, just give me your It actually went it it went 620 at 237 miles an hour. I saw the numbers before they cleared the screen. Five second factory stock cars, man. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Super excited about it. It ran considerably faster than the factory stock cars it didn't run nearly as fast as the pro stock cars. Okay. It was in that, it was in that window, but it's also brand new. Um, you know, for those that were there late, late Thursday night, they actually brought the car up. They wanted to make a shakedown run with it simply because they wanted to be darn sure that if, if they got an opportunity during the weekend and with all the weather stuff going on, they weren't even sure, but they wanted to make sure if they got the opportunity, the car would go down a racetrack. It's that new. And they came up on that run and rattled the tires pretty hard and didn't get it into third gear. So I know that they went back and made some adjustments to make sure that it would go down the racetrack. But the concept of it, I love. It absolutely looks like a Camaro. It has the stock hood, uh, roof, and quarter panels. The front end, even though it's carbon, is an exact dimension. It's not stretched out, pro-modded, weirded out, aerodynamic. It's got a little spoiler on the back of it for stability, which it probably needs. But it also has a full chassis under the car, so the car is certified to run 6.0. One of the big problems with the factory showdown cars, and I love the factory showdown cars, but with a stock platform, which is what they are, you can't certify one quicker than seven and a half seconds. And even at 3,500 plus pounds, they're making enough power that if you just turned them loose, they would be running quicker than that. And as soon as the car outruns a certification, that's game over. So that's been a problem with the factory showdown cars for so long. But now with Factory X, they are certified to go much, much quicker. They're almost a thousand pounds lighter. And so they are going to be quicker but they are full purpose built race cars. I've cringed for a long time about 3,500 pound cars going 180 miles an hour on a nine inch wide slick. Um, so far we haven't had any issues and I hope we never have any issues, but that to me in my mind is a scary combination. These new cars are gonna be built for that kind of performance and I can't wait until we get more than one of them out there on the racetrack. I, 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 t- I cried when I watched the Jeff Turk video, you know, for all of the blood, sweat, money, time that he had into that thing to go out and crash it during a test session, uh, it just, to me, is heartbreaking. And I know that he's working on getting the thing back together, but I'm really looking forward to when we get a few of those things out there and all the different brands represented, and let's get after it. Well, Stephen Bell said in the winner's uh, interview after FlexJet Factory Showdown that he's going to have a Bob Glidden replica, like much like the Rod Shop. So they're kind of like doing a thing with the replicas back to the old school pro stock. He's going to have his Mustang. Uh, he he said it would be in Kansas. Now, like I'm not going to guarantee that and I'm not going to go on the record as saying that because things happen. But given the effort that the Stanfield crew made, uh, you know, having to ignite torches for light so that they could work. Uh, 
the guy's like, don't they have generators? It's like, yeah, I guess they probably do have generators. Uh, but they have a motor home, Joe. They have a generator. Yeah. You know what they do down in Texas when they have hurricanes and the power goes out? Everybody goes out and lives in their motor home. They just quit. They just stop working on everything and wait for the power <laughs> to come back on, right? Hey, that story was told to me by Joe Lee and Aaron and Greg Stanfield. So I just, I'm a, just a vessel to relay their story. Right, That's right. Yeah. And your grandfather used to have to walk uphill both ways in the snow to go to school. How do you know? Oh, you must have known him. That's so true. <laughs> uh, but yes, it was it was amazing. And to see a Bob Glidden replica Mustang out there soon, we're going to have to do a feature on the first of each manufacturer that gets out to the track. Like the Turk deal, you're right. It was a nightmare. And Jeff is such a good guy in that he owned the moment. Uh, he, he alerted everybody on the planet to what happened to him by posting the video. And that's a teachable moment to everyone out there. Like, oh, by the way, these cars are wicked fast. And they can catch can catch you off guard and uh that's what happened oh. with jeff oh, oh by the way put a parachute button on the steering wheel like the pro stock guys do that's it that's it and you know i think about that video uh all the time as i'm sure uh, jeff does uh this gentleman says i spoke to a friend on sunday morning who was uh, in the zone uh but still pulled off the super stock win on sunday okay well there you go um Lots of comments, but let's get into the Camping World Series discussion. Do want to let everybody know, though, that Thursday, 12 noon, like we need help on these off days. Like this Tuesday show has been going since the beginning of time, right? Right around the same day, right around the same time, that kind of deal. Um, so the social media algorithms allow us to have some viewers, which is great. But when we pop on an unusual time, like Thursday at 12 noon, sometimes it's tough. So everybody write down a reminder. We're going to start with Matt Hartford. Then we're going to have Blake Alexander. Then we're going to have Hector Arana. All in one super show on Thursday, 12 noon. Yeah, it's going to be great. But I want to let everybody know so they can help us so we can get some viewers, man. Fighting against this social media stuff is so annoying. But it is what it is. But let's start in, in Top Fuel. We're Leah. Working on getting her on the show. I heard she told you the secret to the whole deal, which I missed out there on the stage in the center of the track. She goes through Austin Proc and Justin Ashley to get her first win. There had to be a little bit of magic associated. And I think she told me that she told you what it was. It's a secret. It's magic. Oh, okay. Sorry, I get Well, she told everybody out there. And I was there for the moment, for the genesis of the moment. I lived it. If you want to let her reveal what it was on WFO whenever she comes, that's fine. Or you could tell them and we'll just recap it. Well, there's a couple things. One, I guarantee you, she was feeling pretty good when Matt Hartford won, because the last time she won, Matt Hartford won. So that's, you know, it's always good to have a little bit of whatever the mojo is going on your side. Uh, she did also make her first trip to the ice cream stand this week. So, uh, you know, she'd never done the ice cream at Norwalk before and decided that, hey, number one qualifier, this is a good time to do that. But uh, it, it was interesting listening to you talked to Neil Strasbaugh, her crew chief, on the starting line after every run, and he did not sound like the most confident guy in the world, right? I mean, he wasn't up there going, yep, we got this, they can't touch us, where did he? he was more like, oh, gee, I don't, I don't know what, I mean, it went, I guess, but uh, he sounded like that he was, uh, he was definitely struggling to make decisions, and he certainly looked like he made all the right ones at the end of the day. That is a super team for Neil to beat Mike Green, his mentor, who still like gives him professional guidance. They're not like looking at runs together, but that is such a big moment. 
And I'm so happy for Neil and Mike and everybody on that team. Like we've got a lot of friends over there, like Red and Booger and every, everybody. Like they've got such a great team over there. They have so many rings independent of each other. And now it's like coming together. That team is really strong. And looking at uh, Leah's, you know, round by round, number one qualifier goes through Kyle Wurzel, who went red, uh, went through Mike Salinas, Austin and Justin. That is saying something about Leah Pruitt and what, what her, you know, how she is continuing to develop as a race car driver. Consistent car, gives driver confidence, all of those things. And it appears that she has got it going on. Well, they definitely did that weekend, no question about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, when you run down, look at the, the list of people that she had to face. Uh, you know, Kyle Wurzel's got himself a solid car, even though we don't see him at all that often. Uh, and he kind of got, you know, the yips on the starting line a little bit. But when you go through, you know, we all know what Salinas is capable of. Proc's already been in a winter circle this year. And for Justin, I mean, he was Gage Herrera-like, you know, if he got out of the first round. And now that string has been broken. So um, that's, you know, that's a tough day at the office. And after Tony qualified number one in alcohol dragster <coughs> and then smoked the tires in round two, and after Matt made it to the final round but wasn't able to close the deal, I think there was probably a little extra pressure on Leah and her team to make sure that we don't get out of this weekend without at least one trophy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, <coughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I, no, no worries. Don't ever do it again, Al. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting how the world works. You know, I'm out there in, in the airports and I can't help but just like look at people and think about them and their lives. And, you know, like what are, you know, all these people, look at all these people. They've all got lives. They've all got kids. They've all got opinions. They've all got stuff. So there's this guy, Stan, who is in our chat section. Right. And he is just an interesting character because he's a kind of uh, on the uh, anti side of many things. And I like it just so you know, Stan, I like it, but get this. I hate to say it, but the FX Camaro is ugly. Hopefully the Dodge and Ford looks better. I haven't heard that opinion yet. Stan's got the opinion, but I, I haven't heard that opinion. What What does he think is ugly? It looks like a Camaro. That's what it's supposed to look like. I mean, well, does he not like does he not like Camaros? He says that the 10-5 tire is a bad look for the rear of the car. Okay. Uh, it reminds me of ProMod when they put radial tires on. Okay, I don't like when they put radial tires on a ProMod either, Stan, so I'm kind of with you on that. Those little radials look dumb. But I don't get that take at all with the 10.5 tire because the only tire you're really missing would be on the inside of the of the tire, which you, you don't even see that really, except from behind up underneath. And don't get me wrong, I like some big, wide steamroller tires. But I just don't get that take. But Stan hates it, like poison, like vile poison. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I, I, I like the look of the big tire also, but I wouldn't say the car is ugly just because I don't like the back tires. So that's just me. Yeah. But, but see, that's the point though, Stan, it's good that you have a different opinion than, than others. Like that's what's great about it. You're allowed to think whatever you want to think. It, it just hits you that way. It hits you a little differently. Like that's cool. That's fine. And, and some people don't like the look of the Camaro period, by the way, like you said, Alan, it's if you don't like the Camaro, then of course you're not going to like the Camaro factory X car. That's what a really cool car looks like right there. Oh gosh, this Cuda, the Cuda is continuing on project Cuda continues on any other top fuel racers that we should mention before we 
move along. Uh, you know, uh, Brittany gets through Langdon, uh, runs up against Josh Hart, takes down Josh Hart, comes up short against Justin. Um, but a semifinal matchup. Uh, Torrance loses to Justin. Justin Ashley has just been so tough this year, and he is obviously the points leader by 97 over Torrance. Think about that, though. Torrance, no wins. Justin, four wins and a runner-up, and they're only 97 points apart. Leah's third, Brittany fourth, Austin fifth, Antron sixth, Mike Salinas, Josh Hart, Doug Coletta, Sean Langdon, the top 10, Tony Schumacher and Clay on the outside. Clay 12th, even though he's got a win. Uh, it's been a tough season, but again, with the with the new countdown formula, all of those drivers are eligible. Well, Torrance, I don't believe, has a first lo- a first round loss, and that's been Justin's Achilles heel. He does have a couple of those first round losses. When he gets out of the first round, man, look out. He's going to you know pretty much run the table, um, except for the four wides. The four wide format is unique, so I didn't count that in the. You know, if he goes past the first round, he goes on to win because in one of the four wides, he didn't. But, um, yeah, he just got to, you know, Justin's team needs to clean up their first round stuff. But they've got, I, I would really rather right now, I would rather be Justin's team than anybody else. Because if what you have to clean up is your first round losses, I think that's better than being stuck in, you know, with second round tire smoke or with whatever, you, whatever else you may have. And I think, as I, we've talked about before, you know, the team is not going to be down because they lost this final round. They're still, you know, they've, they've got the music up. They're all pulling together. They're all looking out for each other. They're having fun. They're winning races. They're enjoying going to the races. And, you know, after a couple of weeks off, they're going to be back at Denver trying to start another string. Yeah. And uh, Amanda said in the winner's interview, you know, championship or bust for Justin. And I think that's the next phase of it, right? Like the, the people who create the storylines after what happened with Justin last year, which was a career year to that point, which has now been eclipsed by another career season already to this point, like this year has already eclipsed last year, but now it's, it's going to be perceived that if they don't win the championship, then the season is a failure which, you know, I don't like to put things in those stark terms because anytime you can win four races and have so many great successes, another Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge, they've got 12 points already uh, accumulated after the, the, the countdown cutoff. There's a lot going on. But that's what people will begin to talk like because that's just sports conversation. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the rest of the – We'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out. But I think right now they are having a tremendous year. And if they win the championship, then it may go down as one of the, you know, like Schumacher-esque dominate seasons if they continue with what they're doing now. But if they don't win, you know, if you told me, hey, you can go win two races a year and win the championship, or you can win 10 races and not win the championship, I wouldn't call either one of those a failure. And they certainly are in a position right now that they could win potentially as many as 10 races. So uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and, and everything else is white noise. I wouldn't let it bother me at all. Well, exactly. And uh, I'm going to do a little research, you know, from the mainstream stick and ball sports world. The way it typically works is a team makes a run and comes close and learns the valuable lesson that unlocks it the following season so we'll see if that happens with Justin Ashley because I really do think that because of his athletic background uh, as a collegiate level wide receiver and frankly you know scrappy little guy um, we can learn a lot from 
uh, genuine, you know, like what we'll call athletic stick and ball sports for the way Justin approaches his practice, his mental visualization, all, all of that. Andy Roberts just wants to get the name of every other podcast in here. Sometimes life's a drag and you get right off track, but you must find hidden horsepower <laughs> inside and go WFO. Then you will shake and bake. Thank you, Andy Roberts. I hope you, uh, I hope you're on the other people's feeds, like promoting WFO somewhat. You know, that's what we need. We need a little love too, man. WFO, just because we're old doesn't mean we're not trying. We're trying really too hard. Uh, Top Fuel says, too fast, too tasty challenge is probably more important under horrible participation format we have now. What about that, Alan? I've been thinking a lot about the participation format. Austin Prox seemed to like it last year. Whoever's at the back of the, uh, the points this year, but like look at ProMod, right? They Like everybody's in for the most part. I think it's like 15 cars that are going to be in their playoffs. Yeah, you know, I could I could make a I could make an argument for both sides of it, but I also think the reality of it is if you're 14th in points leaving Indy when we start, you're not going to all of a sudden just go poof, catch on fire and win the championship. So I do like the fact that it allows those teams a potential top 10 finish. And that was one of the things that I didn't particularly care about in the countdown, you know, if 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 they cut it off at 10 and if I'm 11th or 12th, you know, making it into the top 10, getting invited to the banquet, getting to come out to Pachinga, getting to stand on the stage, that's a big deal. And for some of the sponsors, that's a big deal also. And so being locked out of a top 10 finish because of the cutoff, that was something that always bothered me. So I do like the fact that, you know what, if you're 12th, 13th, 14th, and I said, ain't nobody starting from there that's going to go run the table and win the championship. And if somebody does, I will get a bowl full of crow and a spoon and sit here and eat it. But the reality of it is I do like the fact that it will allow those teams an opportunity for a top 10 finish at the end of the year. I've heard that uh, that is a new flavor of velvet ice cream that will be available at Norwalk <laughs> next year. Crow. Um, you know, you can eat crow. Mickey said, I hope not. I am lobbying hard to bring back mint chocolate chip because there's no mint chocolate chip. Oh man. There were a lot of people like there, there was the whole underlying ice cream controversy, which turned out to be much ado about nothing, especially, but, um, Nikki, Nikki says there's a whole bunch of top fuel teams testing at IRP. Well, and that's what's happening now. It's like, we didn't do this all for nothing. And a bunch of teams are realizing, and not just top fuel teams, everybody that this is a, great season to try to win a championship and you're going to have to be really good to do it. And so you better test. If you don't test, well, what's the point? Yeah. If there's cars at IRP today, that makes sense because we do have two weeks off before we go to Denver. And once you go to Denver, you're not testing, right? And I mean, at least for the next month, I don't mean, you know, you're not testing for the rest of your life, but you're not going to leave Denver, go back to Indy, make some runs and then go to Seattle or stop someplace between Denver and Seattle to make a couple of runs. And the whole testing thing, I mean, I, I love the fact that you go testing, right? They made a big deal about, you know, well, Jim Head was testing at Indy on Tuesday before Norwalk. And look, he came up and won the race. So there you go. That goes to show you that testing pays off. Jim Head made five runs at IRP on Tuesday before he went to, um, to Norwalk. Smoked the tires five times. <laughs> Never made a clean run down the racetrack. So, okay, maybe he got those five runs behind him. But it's not like he went there and then went, oh, okay, I found, here's the magic that we're going to put into this deal. But uh, it was it was interesting talking to him uh, at the end of the day because anybody that was there or remembers, um, the first couple of runs down the racetrack on Sunday weren't great. Wilkerson red lit by a couple of hun, and then Alexis came up and hit the gas too soon. And I said at the time, I said, you guys are giving him too many chances. The, you know, in, in drag racing, when a guy's down, you need to kick him. 
and kick him and kick him and kick him. Don't let him keep having shots at you. And when they brought that car back up for the semifinal, Jim said he finally decided, you know what? Nothing works. This is monumentally stupid, but everything else didn't work. Let's try this. And whoo, 393. It's like, huh, maybe, maybe it wasn't so stupid after all. And then he comes back in the final round and laid down that great run against Hagen. But you just, you know, they, they kept giving him chances until he finally got so frustrated with the car it wouldn't run like he thought it should that he just kind of threw caution to the wind and went for it. And I don't have, my list isn't updated, but I, I went and checked it. And the last time I find a number 12 winner was Pomona, um, like back in 2015. And my list has not been updated for, I, my fault, I've been falling behind on it, but my list hasn't been updated recently. But it's possible that it's been that long since the number 12 qualifier uh, went on to win. And I'm, you know, since I got two weeks off, I'm going to update my list while I'm doing it. Update your list. Yeah, Blake beats Wilkerson first round, went 399. So that's not a terrible run. There were other runs that were better than that. Um, but, you know, gets down the racetrack under power, uh, 319 miles an hour. Sets up round two against Alexis. She's read by 3,000. So that was kind of close uh, red light for Alexis. And ran 514. That's where I uh, had my interview with Jim where he's like, I'm not happy. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's happy. No, he's not happy. I'm not happy, Alan. Uh, but that was good. But that sets up the semis against Bob Tasca. And this is where I want to spend a little time on it. Blake is 70, 392. They go to the final. Blake's 28, 393. And I want to talk about Blake Alexander. Blake has been coming on WFO radio for, let's call it, 10 years, like his entire Nitro career. Whenever he would have a new sponsor, whenever he would have, uh, you know, someone running these one-off deals, remember back with Paul Smith, all that stuff, we would always have him on. And I genuinely believe that Blake Alexander could be a superstar racer if he got enough camera time, which comes with winning. And, you know, he's good looking. He's got an interesting attitude. He's got a wonderful family. He's, you know, he's funny. He says funny things. Like he's got it all. He just never gets the TV time because they, you know, they haven't run well. This win was tremendous. I'm driving back to the airport and I'm in the zone. I don't know how you are after an event when you're driving on a long stretch, but me, I'm just spaced out, man. I think I'm having a phone conversation or something. And this white Chevy truck is kind of in front of me now, you know, like they passed by me and now they're in front of me. And, and all of a sudden the window rolls down and a Wally comes out the window and it's like being shaken at me. And I'm like, Oh man, somebody stole a wallet. Who is this person? And it was Blake. And he was just like, yeah. And it was a great moment that, you know, no camera. I just have to remember it forever, but I'm just so happy for his mom and his dad for Blake. And I hope they can make this a semi-regular thing because the sport is just going to be better with him winning races and in the mix. It was interesting to me how much emotion he showed uh, at the top end of the racetrack. And then when he came back down, when he was on the stage with me on the racetrack, that was a, another very emotional moment. Because if anybody besides me remembers when he won his last top fuel race, it was almost zero emotion. He really felt like he hadn't done a very good job all day long. And like he had kind of backed into it and he didn't deserve it. And really was almost like, you know, I felt like an imposter. Uh, but that day he definitely did do his job. The team did, they earned it as a team and he was really jacked up about it. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing I think the fans need to see. That's the kind of thing that gets somebody who's maybe indifferent to go, you know what? 
I like that guy. That's my guy. I'm going to pay more attention to that guy. And good for him. And I agree with you. I'd like to see, you know, you know, the last time I believe Jim Head was in a winner's circle was 1997. So, Jim, I love you, but I don't think, I don't think you're still going to be racing nitro cars 26 years from now. Uh, So please don't wait that long to visit the winner's circle again. He kind of jokingly said, well, that's it. I want, I can retire. And then instantly was like, it's a joke because you know how the internet is, right? So, um, but I think it, uh, you know, it was good for Jim, home race for him. You know, his wife was there and just, just a lot of pluses about it for Jim as well. Yeah, definitely. Pete out there says Blake's win was really cool that he got caught up in the emotion as well. No, me too. Jim Head, the, the Dylan Cromwell story, like all of those things that they've dealt with over the past few years. Been to some finals with Chad, been to some finals with uh, Johnny Lindbergh, and they break through and get a win with Blake. But Drag Race Central says uh, it's up to the series to promote him. The problem is you can, you, you know, what are you going to do if they're not running well? Like that's the problem with with running well. It's easy to promote someone that's winning races and running well. Like, hey, we're going to send someone out to a radio station. Well, hey, I'm the big DJ. Well, tell me about the last time you won. Well, it was 10 years ago and we're not really running well. The, the driver doesn't have the confidence to go out and like, puff their chest out and talk about how great they're doing when they're not doing great. Like Alan just said, the kid won a race and was kind of muted because he didn't like the way he won a race. It comes from performance. That's that stuff comes from performance. The series promotes the racers that are performing because they have that swag that goes with it. The person who's not running well is not good to be promoting the sport. It just doesn't work in my opinion. That's why we don't do well, it. There's, there's multiple sides to the story. You know, there was a lot of years that Steve Johnson was certainly not a threat to win a pro stock motorcycle event, but he still did plenty of media, did a lot of stuff, did a lot of things for his sponsors because that's the way he promoted his sponsor. That's the way he got his sponsors value, knowing that he wasn't going to have a big on track presence. But there's, there's a combination of things that have to come into play, you know, and this obviously going to go back a ways, but Back in the Tony Schumacher and Gary Selzy rivalry days, I had two or three different, you know, media types come up to me over the years and say, you guys need to do a better job of promoting this rivalry. You guys don't make anything out of this rivalry. You don't. And I said, you're talking to the wrong guy. I said, you need to go talk to Gary and Tony because I can sit up there go scream at the top of my lungs. This is big. This is huge. This guy, he remembers the last time and he hates him and he's on him. These guys, you know, boy, they might fight at the end of the racetrack. Let's see what happens. And then Tony gets out of the car and goes, man, that's a great team over there. I really love those guys. And my kids play with his kids. And, you know, we went and had dinner last night. We were really lucky to win today. And, you know, boy, that doesn't help. And so, you know, the drivers have to be involved. The sanctioning body has to be involved. The media has to be involved. Everybody has to be involved. There isn't just one entity that can take this and make it happen. You know, why was Snake and Mongoose a big rivalry? Because they didn't like each other. Because they really had a personal rivalry behind the scenes, and that's easy to promote. You know, Garlitz and Shirley back in the day, they hated each other, and it's easy to promote that. You know, when, Dar- when Don's going to get out of the car and make some disparaging remark about women drivers or when Shirley's going to get out of the car and call him Donald and tell you know, that's something you can promote. But you can't promote when all of the drivers want to hold hands and sing Kumbaya at the end of the racetrack, whether they win or lose.
Yeah. And, and, you know, Stevie fast is the best at this. He understands, sure. he, you know, you can say something disparaging about someone else and not have it be a cutting, uh, meaningful thing. That's going to, you know, make their kids feel uh, hatred towards you. Uh, it's in, it's interesting. And, and, and this guy, you know, like when people are down and this is where I live, right. And get in trouble. Like again, two weeks in a row. Now we're referencing when I get in trouble, the, the greatness of a comeback story like you can only have a comeback story if people know that you were gone or you were down. It's not a comeback if you don't tell the bad part. You gotta you gotta catch the comeback story down in the valley when they're at their worst, when they're down in the dumps, when they're feeling like ready to to walk away. Because then when you know that story and you tell that story, and when they come back, that makes it all the better. But if people are angry that you're telling the the, the down part of the story, then it kind of puts uh, sand in the gears of the whole uh, thing. You know, J.R. Todd and John Force, first round. Like, like that could have very easily been the marquee matchup this week, Alan Reinhardt. But the way it was, you know, it had been going, like, let's give those two guys a break to go settle it amongst themselves. Now J.R. got a shot in on him. Like, maybe we'll do it again in the future, right? Um, just interesting the way that, and, you know, you tell them differently than I tell them, but we, we tell the stories of what's going on. And yes, it helps so much when the racers actually participate in the telling of their stories, like all oh, that hype, they just told you, yeah, it's all BS. We don't really care. Yeah, and you know, and it doesn't have to be disrespectful. I have, you know, coached drivers a number of times over the years and, you know, it can be as simple as, you know, my sponsor pays me to make sure that car doesn't get to the winner circle. You know, my sponsor pays me to make sure that brand X tools don't get on TV. You know, I won this race because my oil is better than that stuff they pour in that piece of junk over there. You haven't badmouthed anybody. You haven't thrown anybody under the bus. You, but you're making a point that this is more important than just, boy, those are great guys. They got a great team and we love them and we're just lucky to be here. Um, but, you know, that's not what is going to, you know, develop rivalries, develop fan followings, develop. You've got to show some personality. You got to show that you mean it. I've, you know. The old show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. You know, I don't think everybody should kick the car and throw the helmet every time they lose. But if I'm the team owner, I do not want my driver getting his butt kicked and then going on camera and going, it's just a happy, wonderful day and everything's wonderful. That's not what I want. I want my driver to go over and say, I want a shot at that guy. If I get him next week in the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge, I'm going to shove this thing down his throat. That's what I want to hear. And that's not disparaging. That's not throwing anybody, you, but you've got to make people understand that this is important. This isn't just, you know, a couple of kids playing in sandbox. Yeah. Nikki's out there. She says that the alcohol pits aren't singing and holding hands. Are, aren't they? <laughs> they? They weren't this weekend. I They're can not? promise you that. I don't know what that, what, what are you referencing, Nikki? I, I don't know. Interesting. Right. <laughs> let's, let's move there on. was a, Any? there were some, uh, um, Differences of opinion in the alcohol pits this week, uh, kind of behind the scenes. That's kind of what that's all about. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, let's uh, final thoughts on, on Blake and uh, just, you know, he's going to be on, on Thursday. So we're going to check in with that story, but again, just super happy for him. And that's another funny car that is going to be up in, in the mix, hopefully uh, to win some races. And, you know, Blake is 11th in the points, but they do not see there's one, right. As I understand it, they do not qualify for the countdown unless they're in the top 10. 
Right. And if they can keep the car running like it ran the second half of uh, Sunday out there, then they should be able to do it. I'm not sure exactly what their schedule is, how many of the uh, how many of the remaining races between now and Indy they're planning to race slash skip, depending on, you know, Jim's schedule and Blake's schedule and, and the other things that they've got going on. But, um, you know, they certainly showed at least the second half of Sunday that they had a good car that could go out there and, and be in the mix. And I hope we're going to see a lot more of them. Matt Hagen retakes the points lead over Ron Caps by four. Uh, JR got through John Force and Ron Caps back to back. Comes up short against Hagen, but uh, that that team showing some life. And Jono and Todd Smith were both like, you could see them coming out of it. You could see them coming out of it. I've yet to watch the TV show. Some people have said that I got to go back and check out uh, all the top end interviews uh, for some interesting commentary, but I didn't see it. But uh, Caps second, Robert Height third, 69 back. Caps, of course, won the Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty challenge so that's a big win chad green fourth just having an incredible season still chad green amazing addition to nitro alexis de at 93 points back the three thou red light i don't know what you do with it i think that alexis as you've been saying has got a great race car and just has got to get her act together by the u.s nationals in the countdown like you just work it keep working it keep shooting like the old michael jordan you just got to keep shooting yeah. And if she gets right by the countdown, she could win the world championship. She's just got to get right by the countdown. And I don't think anyone's given up on her. Task is sixth, Wilkerson seventh, Force eighth, JR ninth, Cruz Pedregon tenth. Then you got Blake and Alex Laughlin. No Terry Haddock this weekend, which, you know, it's always a bummer when we got no Terry Haddock. Well, but Terry's, you know, racing smart. He knows what he's got within his budget. And when he comes out, he is very competitive now. So just look forward to the next time he brings that thing out to the racetrack. A, a, exactly. Look at this. We got Shane Tecklenburg on there. This is the same story over and over. It's not the responsibility of the media to seek out and promote a person of their team. You either get results, which naturally makes people pay attention, or you need to provide the story to be told uh, to the media personnel. Thank you, Shane. Right? Who tuned uh, Lee Hartman to a, a final round, best race of his career, while at the uh, Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Like, that is pretty great stuff. And um, thank you, Shane. This is exactly, it's the same story. It's amazing how people who are within the sport understand. Tecklenburg's a smart guy. Is he? Is he, though? Yeah. I'm going to use the Jim Yates thing. If he was that smart, would he be out here with us? Sure. Yeah. He was, exactly. he was smart enough to be at Pikes Peak instead of watching it rain <laughs> in Norwalk all day Friday. Posting some great photographs, by the way. So follow him on the, uh, the socials. Besides, uh, I think Pikes Peak, Pikes Peak might have just been an excuse because if, if I'm not mistaken, Shane is involved. Uh, there's, you know, been a big rumor about this illegal fuel injection stuff going on in the junior dragster ranks. And I think Shane is, uh, you know, kind of the godfather of that. And of course, with the Eastern or Western Conference Finals, we're at it, out at uh, Bandemir this last weekend. I think he was out there, uh, you know, working on some of those cheater junior systems and just used Pikes Peak as an excuse. I forget what it was right now because it was such a blur of a weekend. That's a joke, was... by the way, before anybody lights up there. That's a joke. See, you don't have to say that, Alan, because there was something yes, that happened. This day and age, was, you do. It was a perfect <laughs> Alan Reimhart, like, BS rumor, like, just a total rumor. Oh, it was about, it's what it was me. It was the fights in the pits, right? Like, everyone's talking about this happened and that happened and all these different things happened. And so I wanted the Racers for Christ people to have a big fight with the <laughs> woman of draw. And everybody, I kept trying to say it, and they just wouldn't accept it as reality. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Racers for Christ got into a fist fight with the women who draw because it was over the booth space or something. But I don't know. People didn't, they didn't accept it as reality. I guess I reached. All right. Pro stock. They lost. 
Friday, which made it very interesting. Saturday was right into the Too Fast, Too Tasty. For uh, Michael Heiner talked a little bit about that on the Hear It From Heiner Pro Stock Show on Patreon. Uh, Hartford dominated though. This was a dominating weekend for the Total Seal Rattler team. Number one qualifier. They got that in the second session. But Hartford told me flat out, he's like, dude, we were, he goes, I, I uh, hit the chip in uh, yeah. third and fourth in uh, the, the first session. We would have been number one. And he got it right in the second session. Number one qualifier, get through Fernando, get through Derek Kramer, get through uh, Aaron Stanfield, driving well. Final round, Dallas Glenn, who has been a bit of a nemesis for everyone in the category. Hartford's 005, Dallas sh- sh- rattles the tires, shakes the tires. Hartford goes 62 for the win. Tremendous victory to now turn a season of like, oh, runners up and number ones. And it really should be a career year, but there's no num- no win to go with it. Once you add a win, it like pulls everything up. Best season ever for Matt Hartford. And now he's got the rest of the season to have his first season of multiple wins. Well, he's obviously, you know, got good power. The KB guys, the KB Titan group is making good power, but he's got the car happy. And we've seen over the years in pro stock, you know, when you've got the car happy, that's what really makes the difference. You look at, you know, what Erica did last year, what, you know, Erica doesn't have 50 more horsepower than Aaron Stanfield or anybody else that runs out of that elite trailer but her car was happy. And right now, Matt's car is very happy and they're been making good decisions with it, good choices. You said Matt's driving well. Uh, now that he busted through for a win, I think you know his confidence is gonna be even higher as they continue to move forward. So yeah, I, I certainly expect him to win more races this year and he is going to be a factor in the countdown. It's just gonna be a matter of who is hot at the right time once we you know get Indy and beyond. And it's, isn't it crazy that it's, going to be July here in a couple of days and we go Denver, Seattle, Sonoma, Brainerd and Indy and then here we go. Yeah, and Kansas. But for Pro Stock, they they're not there for uh, Seattle and Sonoma and so they are even right up against it. Like it and it is. It's going to be who gets hot. It's going to be like oh, I left out I, I left out Topeka. I'm sorry. I love Topeka. Yeah. I left out Topeka. We love Topeka. I don't I don't want to yell that from everybody in Kansas. We love Topeka. How dare you say that about Topeka? This guy said, who's excited for Denver? We're definitely going to talk about it because I'm excited, but also it's bitter. It's a bit bitter, bittersweet. Yeah, Pete loves the RFC versus draw West Side story. I'm thinking more of an anchorman kind of angle to the deal, but you get the gist. And that's what I was trying to pitch to people. And they were like, really? Like, I guess with everything else that was going on, it was slightly plausible. Uh, our buddy Stan goes, how about all the red lights and double steps at Norwalk? Yeah, what do you make of that, Alan? I blame the rain. When there, I, blame, I blame the rain on, on everything uh, that happened. When it rains at the track, the adrenaline goes up, people become frustrated, and everything is just a little more intense. But there was a lot going on. Double steps, red lights, chaotic stuff. The first round of alcohol was ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen so many double steps in my life as we saw the first round of alcohol. And then it did carry over a little bit into uh, into Sunday. I, I don't know what you can blame it on. You know, maybe maybe it's just the fact that, you know, as you said, with the rain, what do you do when it rains? Well, you eat another pound of ice cream. And then, you know, you're kind of extra jacked up and kind of did it. And when you get up there and stage a car, your foot just decides it's time to take off. But, yeah, there was definitely an epidemic of that, especially in the alcohol classes round one. Yeah. Definitely. Any other pro stock uh, thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I've got the we've got the 
Patreon only, hear it from Heiner show where he really lays out their methodology in the round by round. You know, you got to be a Patreon to hear that show, but he, he felt like they got 20 points that they didn't deserve because Camry should have beat him. They had a malfunction first round. They did win the mission foods too fast, too tasty challenge. So they continue their weekends of success, but this was not a great weekend for them. And he, he felt, it sounded like he felt guilty. He shouldn't be, but he got 20 points when Camry went red first round, then loses to Hartford. But uh, other racers that had great weekends, like Troy Coughlin had a really fast hot rod. Troy qualified third, was going down the track, rattled the tires against Dallas. Uh, Dallas takes down Erica. Um, so, you know, Erica is not yet going on that run. We all expect her to, but she could, she could win multiple countdown races. And so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, the only other thing is I thought conspicuously absent was David Quadra. Um, and he was running his top sportsman car. So he was at the racetrack and I'm not sure what, uh, what the reasoning was for bringing that one out instead of the pro stock car, but I hope that they uh, put him back in a pro stock car because that's another good quality car and another good driver that gets out there and just makes it that much more difficult for everybody else. So I, I had conversations with both Fernando and David and they told oh, me okay. something, which, you know, people tell people all kinds of stuff and there may be the for public uh, reason. And then there might be a different private reason, which, uh, you know, could uh, expose some naivete by me, but this is what they told me that, they really wanted to run this Jerry Haas car, this new Jerry Haas top sportsman car with a pro charger. It's beautiful. It's amazing. They were giving me a tour, showing me the whole fuel tech dash with the Quadra logo. This thing was spectacular and they wanted to run it and they didn't want to run it at the same time he was running pro stock because the driver rhythm and everything that's going on in the cockpit of the race car is so different that they didn't feel like since David has just started his pro stock career, they didn't want him going back and forth between the two. And Fernando said that he even got a little crossed up in his first uh, qualifying run on uh, Friday morning or Thursday morning, whenever it was. So they wanted to make sure he could focus on whatever he was doing by only running one car is what they right. told me. Well, in that case, the next time you're going to do that, uh, I would like to drive the pro stock car. Exactly. And just strictly strictly for gathering data because you know you, you can gather more data with four cars than you can with three and fernando tried to give me the assessment of all the different things that are going on in the elite camp around the quadras which is always a lot anyway because you got the two elite engine cars and you got the two frank engine cars but you got some haas cars and you got some rick jones cars and so they took like richards uh, Rick Jones car and you know they're they're moving around things and trying to make things similar to one another um, and there was a lot he gave it all to me and it was so confusing that I immediately forgot but there's a lot going on over there you guys know all right point standings after the race Dallas Glenn leads by 162 so it's definitely a season of dominance for Dallas but with the countdown that's only going to matter for a position or two Matt Hartford second Derek Kramer third uh, 177 back. Hartford and Kramer are like kind of swapping positions for second. Troy Coughlin Jr., fourth. Aaron Stanfield, Greg Anderson, Erica Anders, sixth and seventh. Greg and Erica. Camry Caruso, Christian Quadra, and Bo Butner is in the top 10 now. Kyle Koretsky, Jerry Tucker, and Mason McGahey, uh, 11 through 13. Then you got Junior, then you got Chris. I was glad to see Mason and Chris show up. There was some discussion that they weren't going to show up. We talked a lot about it. Why would you give away your countdown eligibility? Like, given this, we're calling it, uh, 
you know, Drag Racing Central is hung up on the deal. Why would you give that away by not showing up? What if you figure things out? What if you figure things out, like right at the U.S. Nationals, and now you got a fast car, but you're not countdown eligible? No, that's not racer mentality. Racer mentality is if I don't believe I can win this race, then I need to go home until I got a fast enough car that I believe I can win the race. And I think that they were, you know, very, very disappointed with the performance of the cars. I think that, you know, they know they're better than that. They know that something is wrong with the engine side of things. And we need to fix that because if we don't get it fixed, the fact that, okay, well, we made the countdown. So what? So we can finish 15th instead of, I mean, 15th, because that's where we're going to end up anyway. You need to take the time. If you're in that position, you need to take the time. You need to go home. You need to figure out what's wrong. And if they figure out what's wrong, there's plenty of time to get in the top 10. But I'd rather fight my way into the top 10 knowing that I've got something I can race with in the countdown than just tiptoe my way into the top 10 and still not have a car that's capable of winning races. Um, I spoke with Lester pretty extensively about it. And they basically what it had is they had some new equipment that came into the engine shop that they didn't have like tuned up and, and where they needed it to be yet. Uh, so their engines weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And so they were planning to stay home and make this happen while well, they were able to get everything up and running and doing what it was needed to do. And they felt like they had made some ground. So they wanted to come out and see exactly where they were. They certainly were better than they were when we saw them the last time um, down in, where were we last? I just blanked out. Oh, Bristol. 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 Yeah, they certainly were better than they were. And now they've got a couple of weeks off before Denver. So that, I think, is what made the decision. And I expect them to be even better once we get to Denver and a little bit later in the year. But if you, there's nothing, if you are a racer and you have true racer mentality, you don't want to leave the shop going, okay, well, we're looking forward to, you know, qualifying 15th maybe and getting our teeth kicked in again. You want to be out there with a car that you know is competitive. And if that means you got to skip a race to build a competitive engine or a competitive car, then that's what you do. Yes, I understand. But if they're going to give you countdown eligibility and you do all that and then you finish 11th and then you win three races in the countdown, you've given up a championship. And so I think, and they showed up, they did come. So somewhere in there, I'm sure that was part of the on the fly mental algorithm to, you know, let's go. And Mason, I talked to Mason. Mason's like, you know, I still know how to drive, but when the car's running terrible, I feel terrible about driving. And so when they get the car faster, I don't, I don't know. Eric Latino was cool to see in Pro Stock, as Drag Race Central points out. That was, to me, the big pressure run of the weekend, to put it in the show. Eric Latino, Pro Stock run number seven in front of everybody. All right, buddy. Go ahead, Pro Mod guy. See if you can put it in the show in Pro Stock. And he did. Yeah, I hope we're going to see more of him going forward as well. Because, again, you know, just another good quality car that's out there. And if Eric's going to have the investment that we know he has in KB Titan Racing, he might as well get some of the uh, some of the reward, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Pro Stock Motorcycle Hector Arana Jr. going to be joining us on Thursday. Fans of Pro Stock Motorcycle, uh, you know, guys, be ready. He's going to be on uh, around 1220 right after Har uh, right. Excuse me, 1240 right after Blake Alexander. Storms on to the final round where he runs Steve Johnson. That's two finals in a row for Steve, a win and a runner-up for Steve. That's pretty uh, darn good. What we did see, you know, Steve got through Chase Van Sant. Uh, Eddie Craywick got through Gianna Evaristo. She goes red. Gianna, the first to beat Gage, like, in a race that he didn't go red. Um, 
tough weekend for uh, for Gage, Gage Herrera. Um, the, the worst weekend he's had as he has didn't make the final. He didn't win the too fast, too tasty. Like what's happening? The earth is spinning backwards on its axis. But Hector Arana over Steve Johnson and Hector Arana Jr. with the Getrix motorcycle. Man, they impress me how they are able to keep up and lead the pack sometimes. Yeah, they had they definitely had a good run. He said that uh, he made a mistake in the final of the mission uh, challenge, the Too Fast, Too Tasty challenge, when he lost to Angie on Saturday. But they knew what it was. They were able to correct it, and they came out on Sunday, and they had themselves a really good motorcycle. And, you know, Steve Johnson, um, you know, his confidence is up. He's still may, maybe not performance-wise quite up with the cool kids and the show-offs in the category, but uh, his confidence is good. I think they're making good choices with the bike. And, you know, Matt Smith ran over 200 miles an hour on the Suzuki, and there were very, very few 200-mile-an-hour runs out there this weekend. I think there was only three of them during the whole weekend, you know, a little bit warm and a little bit on the humid side. So that shows that that process, that program is making progress. But, uh, you know, all in all, it was just a really good showing for the pro stock motorcycles. And obviously for Hector to win at Norwalk, which is the site of his father's first win, that was a really cool family moment uh, that they all got to celebrate together because his dad certainly was there and, and was enjoying every second of it. Absolutely. And, you know, to to double back and make your point on the previous thing, like it all depends on the situational. Uh, and Joey Gladstone, I think, is doing what you described. Like they, they, they're down on parts. They don't have power. They're not feeling great about it. They're hanging weight on the Suzuki's. And so Joey Gladstone, they're in regroup mode. I asked him, hey, man. And he's like, we're in full on regroup mode. And also he is savoring the opportunity to work with Greg Anderson and do the back half on Greg's car. And uh, it's been really cool to see Joey throw himself into that situation. And he told me flat out, like in, in a moment of just, he goes, Joe, I really want to get a win with Greg Anderson here, man. Like, like for my life, just to have a thing, <laughs> like just for my life, I want to be able to say that I won with Greg Anderson. And so he's really focused on that, but they got big plans. We're going to talk about them in the future for everybody that's asking about Joey, who Michael Heiner insists we call Billy until he grows his uh, hair back. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to stick with Joey. I, I, it, that's a you know really sharp young man that's making the most of the opportunities are in front of him, and he's obviously got the ability to do pretty much whatever he wants to do. Yeah, definitely. But Steve Johnson, amazing stuff also. And Steve going to get another final round, but it's still the Gage Show uh, leading the points. Hector Jr., second, 189 back. Remember when the countdown resets, like oh, all that's going to go away, a lot of it. Steve Johnson, third. Eddie, fourth, 224 back. Matt Smith, fifth. Matt, still very confident. Talk to him. Like, you guys are going to be okay. He goes, we're going to be okay. Angie, sixth. Congratulations, Ange, on the <laughs> too tasty. That was awesome. Are you all right, Alan? Do, do you need yeah, I'm good. People are saying no, you need like a Budweiser or something. <laughs> well, I've got one, but no, it's a little early in the day. Is it? Does that matter? Chase Van Zant, Gianna Evaristo, who won the fourth annual ice cream eating contest, by the way, that's available on social media. Mark Ingerson, ninth, Ryan Ayler, 10th, and uh, Joey, 11th, Chip Ellis, Kelly Klontz on back. But um, yes, Gianna took it very seriously. Some might say too seriously. And she won the Norwalk ice cream eating contest. Um, going away. You can find that up on NHRA social media. It so, was a lot of fun. I don't know if people know what to do with it, honestly. I think our race fans don't understand it. Um, but it so let me ask you this. Is there now a Gianna Salinas rule that is going to be implemented going forward? Because it seems like every time somebody wins, 
there's a rule. Like, well, yeah, but. And what, don't take it too seriously, so. rule? Well, no, I'm just saying, was, is there, you know, I, I walked by just as you were starting, but I didn't have the time to stay for the whole thing. So is there, did Gianna do something shady that's going to cause a new rule to be, you know, like heating the spoon or melting the ice cream or not no. actually eating it, just like doing the old no. chipmunk thing? No, she, no. no. She was the first to win, like, you know, we're doing events. Like, you know, I, I said to our great leader event, uh, Evan Jonat, events is hard, right? Uh, we did have a near controversy because it was very close between Gianna and Josh Hart, but with careful and close inspection, it was clear that Gianna had out eight Josh Hart. And Josh, of course, he goes, another runner up this season. Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what to do. But I guess we're going to have to have a scale or something for the day that it's not visually uh, obvious who won. But no. And we decided after some discussion, because that's what it's about. It's about discussing and thinking about that. It's funny if the driver has got uh, chipmunk cheeks full of ice cream and they're dealing with a brain freeze at the clock ending. I think you submitted uh, an opinion. On I lost that my audio. Time. You lost your audio. I don't know why. Are you back? I'm not hearing you. Oh, no. That's terrible. I, this okay, is wait a minute. You just came back. This is where I should say all the bad things about Alan Reinhardt. Let me tell you about Ryan. I'm kidding. You're back? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, I'm back. You're back, baby. You're back. Yeah, my, my earbuds just disconnected for whatever reason. Sorry mm -hmm. about that. You can have a mouthful of ice cream at the end of the clock. That's fine. No questionable behavior by Gianna. And she will defend her title. We've already got one contestant for next year. Jason Galvin claims he wants to be in it. So we're going to go back to having an announcer in it. And it's going to be Jason Galvin and Gianna Evaristo and others. So if you're thinking about buying a ticket to Norwalk, here's the, uh, the real reason you should go. And Monica says she rocked the ice cream competition. Exactly. Why don't you weigh the ice creams? It's only fair. Well, it's been obvious to this point. But yeah, I think that's probably what we're going to have to do. And there you go. Final results. Let's talk about the other winners that we didn't already talk about, like Jason Scruggs. First time back, picks up yeah. a win in the NHRA. And the dominant victory, by the way. Pro-modified field is set for the championship. The uh, It was points and a half. That was a big race. Jason Bond loses first round. Chris Thorne uh, had a great day. I'll bring up the points. But the bottom line is the next time we, we're talking pro-mod racing, we're going to be talking about uh, championship pro-mod racing. Yeah, and that'll be when we get to Brainerd. So they've got, you know, the, the hot part, at least, of the summer off. And we'll see them again in, what, six weeks or whatever it is. So they'll all have a chance to get as prepared as you can possibly be for that championship run. But uh, Jason had, you know, had a good car, did a good job driving it, and basically was the show most of the weekend. So, um, you know, congratulations. He certainly, uh, he certainly earned every inch of that thing. It was really interesting listening to you guys talk down on the return road about the differences between eighth mile and quarter mile because he's had so much success in the eighth mile stuff. And even though he's dabbled a little bit in the quarter mile stuff, he hasn't had nearly the success. Uh, and him talking about just how really different the format is and how your approach has to be different going into it, I thought was very interesting. Yes. Well, we had a lot of time with him. We were, we were in, uh, since we had run so much the night before, we had run our finals and we got to speak with him. It was great stuff. Justin Bond did retain the points lead, though, for those that are interested, and will go into the championship as the leader by 20 over Chris Thorne, uh, and then Jose Gonzalez, Jason Lee, Mike Castellano, J.R. Gray, uh, Kevin Rivenbark, Sidney Frigo, 
Manny Bajinga, and Dmitry Semerukov, the top 10. But really, Mike Thielen, Stan Shelton, Khaled Belushi, Doug Winters, and Jericho Baldiff all qualify uh, for the championship. And uh, it's what? It's uh, 85 points between first and 15th. So that's manageable. We'll see how it all works out. But uh, the next time we're talking Pro Mod, we'll be talking Pro Mod for a championship. Kirk Wolf, Bob McCosh, we already discussed them. Bruno Massel, super emotional. Bruno is giving it a ride to become the first comp eliminator racer to win four championships. And, you know, it looks like he's on a mission. Yeah, he is. And, you know, the two, the two turbo cars in the final were kind of interesting as well. So, you know, I think Holt, uh, I didn't realize that Holt had never even been to a final. So that was kind of a surprise. And I thought he might have a little bit better index, you know, kept his index a little cleaner going forward. He'd had a little bit easier run through the early rounds. And he gave it a ride, but Bruno just had too much for him. So, um, you know, and he was he was actually relatively emotional about it for Bruno. You know, normally he's like, okay, yeah, we won. That's what we came to do. You know, what's next? Uh, but he was he was pretty excited about that one too. So, um, you know, I, I don't know when we're going to see him again. I'm guessing maybe Indy or maybe he'll be at the uh, at the Columbus event here coming up in a couple of weeks. The ProMod points are posted on NHRA.com, but it's post cutoff. They've already reset them, and so like the way it ended up, I don't I don't have. Uh, that yes, Bruno was emotional, and I think, you know, I think he's feeling it. Uh, Sean Dornan and Superstock Marion Stevenson and Stock Lauren Freer in both Super Comp, Super Gas. Scott Wasco, Joe Swanson, Stephen Bell won Flexjet Factory Showdown. Everyone was talking about that Dell Holbrook 766 run was uh, was crazy, but in the end, Stephen Bell had the consistency and the performance together to get down the racetrack and win it. Yeah, and it was a big weekend for them because FlexJet is just down the street. They had over 600 VIPs, customers, employees, and stuff that were out various times during the course of the weekend. So it was nice that they were able to put on a good show and have a you know a Dodge and a Chevy in the final round. I just think that class is better when you do have the you know the inter-manufacturer rivalry stuff. Uh, I also you know Sean Dornan his first win in that really really cool car, 64 Hemi Belvedere. That is absolute show car quality. Congrats on that. And I do also want to uh, send best wishes out to Lisa Stevenson. Uh, you know, Marion and Nicole have been such a part of it. And Lisa, from time to time, has also gotten in and driven, but she's dealing with some pretty serious health issues right now. Wasn't able to be at the track. And Marion got very emotional uh, talking about that after he won as well. So I just want to send out good thoughts to Lisa Stevenson as she's dealing with some difficult times right now. Absolutely. And, and that's. The nature of this sport, you're dealing with hundreds of people and they've got people all around them and you, you care about them all. And like, that's the first that I heard of this story, Alan, just given over the course of the weekend. Um, and so obviously Marion and, and the fam were thinking about you guys. Any final thoughts on Norwalk before we move forward? Uh, the whole ice cream thing, not scooped, but uh, in a pint. I was skeptical. I think it was better. I preferred to just hand me the pint and i'll be on my way thank you very much they were the lines were way down because it happened so much quicker people are resistant to change but sometimes change can be better and obviously bill bader uh on the anniversary of losing his dad got very emotional on the stage but that was just so many great and wonderful human moments wrapped into this race yeah, everything about, you know, the racetrack stuff was good and, and, you know, the ice cream is fine. I think, you know, there's fans are going to be, you know, down about this or that, but I don't know how many people realize how many literally tens of thousands of dollars a year that Bill Bader was losing 
on that dollar a pound deal. I mean, just go buy yourself a gallon of premium ice cream, weigh it, and then figure it out for yourself. So it is still a very good deal. I also like the self-contained containers. I was never a big fan of the pound of ice cream because that's just too much, right? I mean, when I was eight years old, it would have been great, right? Eat it until you explode. And maybe when I was 20 years old, it would have been great too. But at this point, when I would go get a pound of ice cream, I almost never ate all of it because it was just too much. And so I was definitely okay with this. And just one last like little, I thought it was funny story. Um, I relocated Sunday night, uh, went into Cleveland, had a hotel next to the airport because I had an early flight out Monday morning and there was a little bar and grill next to the hotel. So I walked over there and I sat down at the bar and I asked the guy to turn on the drag race and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there chit-chatting with a couple of people that are there. And uh, one of the guys that was at the bar was like, yeah, I was out there Sunday so I, or Saturday. I go out there a lot and I told him, you know, he, and told him who I was. And so we're having a conversation and some other guy comes in and, uh, you know, we're talking about drag racing and he was you know, obviously very knowledgeable, very involved um, with the races. And uh, the guy that I was talking to said, yeah, well, he's the announcer. And he looked at me and he said, no, he isn't. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, I know all those guys. I, I got a team and I do it. And he said, yeah. He said, if you were the announcer, why aren't you there? They're still racing. And he points at the TV and I said, dude, that was three hours ago. <laughs> And I thoroughly, for a second, I thought, this guy's going to knock me off my freaking bar stool here. And, I mean, he was adamant about it. And I said, Google Alan Reinhardt and see if the picture that comes up looks like me. And he's like, well, why aren't you at the race? I said, that was three hours ago. Yeah, tape delay, man. Tape delay. And uh, it was just, it was really funny. We ended up sitting there having a beer and chit-chat and stuff, and he's like, I would have never recognized you outside of the racetrack. And I said, oh, well, I'm glad you didn't hit me with a beer bottle before you figured out that I really was who I said I was. But it was like I say, it was a funny experience and, you know, the typical deal, right? Have a beer and have a burger and watch the uh, NHRA on Fox coverage and then wandered back over to the hotel and got up early and flew home. Yeah, I went to Bob Evans for the first time in my adult life and had a country fried steak and enjoyed the heck out of it for 18 bucks. It was really great. Alan, great job as usual. Next week is 4th of July on our Tuesday deal. So we are not going to be gathering together on 4th of July. On Monday, I will be flying to New York City to see the New York Yankees uh, play in Yankee Stadium. I will be traveling back on 4th of July. And then, uh, so we'll get together. You and I will work it out, like when we're going to connect next week. Uh, and then uh, the following week, we'll be headed to Denver for the final race at Bandemir. I don't like uh, seeing... I don't, I, there's two weeks off in there. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The following week. Oh, okay. Next week will be the final race at Bandemir, which I don't like saying, um, but we're going to have to talk about it. So when we do get together in the future, that will be the focus. Uh, All right. Get ready for the final race at a racetrack that we both love. Sounds good. Well, I uh, hope you enjoy your 4th of July. I hope the Yankees win for you. Who do they play? The Orioles? I believe. Oh, the never mind then. I hope they don't win. Whatever. It doesn't even matter. It's about the experience. <laughs> hey, Pete wants to know about WJ. You had mentioned WJ. I had heard about WJ. Oh, Last thing uh, I heard yes. Positive, but I'm sure I know you guys are in near constant contact. So what do you got? Well, not quite constant contact, but uh, yeah, WJ had a health procedure done. He was like not feeling particularly well and went to the doctor to get looked at. The doctor said, you know, lay down on the table right now and came through it very well and is recovering and expect him to be, you know, back in the dino room and, and you know, being his normal grumbly, grumpy self uh, very soon. But uh, yeah, definitely want to send, uh, definitely want to send good wishes out to him as he goes through a recovery. And, you know, I'm glad that, uh, you know, they caught it, found it when they did, and I'm glad they were able to get it taken care of. So 
you know, best of WJ. We're certainly thinking about him for a speedy recovery. Excellent. Yeah, no. And definitely. thanks for the reminder. Yes, of course, many and multiple. And they, well, it was a weekend of a lot of people having weird issues and side issues. You've got to keep up with everybody. Um, hope everybody is well. Happy Fourth. All right, Alan. Very good. Appreciate you. All right. I'm going to go turn my uh, cooler back on because it is hot, hot, hot in Arizona right now. Yeah. I told him to turn the air conditioner off because it was loud. And so he's baking in there, folks. It's like, well, it's not air conditioning. It's a cooler at my shop, but it still makes a big, big difference. Good deal. All right, Alan. Very good. Appreciate it. See you. Right. There he goes. The voice of the NHRA, Alan Reinhardt, with us here on WFO Radio. And this guy is out there in a, you know, restaurants and someone's like, you know, who are you? (laughs) You're not the guy. Do you know who I am? I keep like ready to socialize on a Sunday night after an event. I just want to sit like in the dark and the cold and just, uh, you know, and this guy, what a moron I am. And you can hear more about it on the ignition show. Apparently at Bob Evans, you can turn any meal into a three course meal for like two bucks extra, which includes an ice cream sundae. So after all of that, this weekend, I had an ice cream sundae at Bob Evans and I'm eating it just thinking, what are you doing? You idiot. All right, let's get some comments in the comment section. I got a lot more to talk to you about. Obviously, we have a free mobile application. Do you guys know that? For iPhone or Android, you can watch all the shows and listen to all the shows, audio or video at the same time. Like Maybe not at the same time, but you can choose depending on where you are. Just go to our website or search it in the App Store or Google Play and be sure to enable push notifications. That is very, very important. The WFO Merch Store has been having a sale for the past couple of days. If you want to get a fire t-shirt or any of our stuff, including the Morris Motorsports gear, Check out the Ignition Show for all that information. All right, let's see what uh, else people have to say. Ice cream trophy were cool. I hope more tracks start doing stuff like that. Maple Grove has the cornhole boards. Yeah, well, the ice cream scoop has been a tradition at Norwalk for a while. And people do get motivated by those trophies. I believe Erica won them all last year. All the bonus trophies sonoma there's a wine glass in uh in pomona there was a shifter uh the ice cream scoop all of that they do get motivated uh as far as our ice cream eating contest i have solicited some people apple girl art and others for making a trophy to give to the racers uh or to pass around a belt or something uh, i think that the winner is going to be something like i really like the idea of something giant that the defending champion can carry in like a championship belt. And so I'm leaning towards, and I'm open to ideas. This is something to be discussed on the Ignition Show, the golden spoon, which is a giant spoon that goes to the Norwalk ice cream eating champion, but then must be surrendered at the end when you are no longer the champion. That's kind of my idea. I like the idea of having to surrender something, but for a while you've got it, you've got it, the golden spoon, but we'll see. You know, I did, uh, I did, I've, I've solicited, I floated the idea, like which of the metalworking artists wants their name associated with the Norwalk ice cream eating contest. And everybody is obviously loaded up with work and business, so they don't need the promotion, which is fine. Golden spoon, golden spoon. Let's see what Billy has to say. One thing about the sportsman racers that is often overlooked is the focus they need to maintain over the weekend. It was emphasized this weekend, uh, sped up Saturday night and to the finals pushed to Sunday. Physical and mental stamina 
is not something we spend a lot of time talking about, but it is everything in our sport, especially for the Lucas Oil Series racers. Like there are things that drag racers don't really spend a lot of time talking about. Courage is one of them. The courage it takes to get in that car and do what they do. No one likes to bring up courage because why on earth would you need courage? Well, because it's dangerous. But we really don't like to talk about that. But it's just a fact. Courage is part of drag racing. Physical and mental stamina is a huge part of the sport as a racer. And you see it. If you're one of those people, like we were, remember, Saturday, I got in at like 7.20 a.m. And we called cars as a team until 12.20 a.m. So, you know, you do the math, seven to seven is 12. And then, you know, it was like an 18 hour day. Just being alive for 18 straight hours is tough. The, uh, you know, maybe you guys are to the point where you can be on your feet for 18 straight hours, working at the highest of levels, uh, hopefully at maximum performance and not be phased. I believe it. But for me, in the final six hours, I'm starting to lose a little something percentage wise. I still think I brought it pretty well, but I'm not too, not embarrassed to admit that there's a little fall off, uh, you know, hour 16 for me and my, you know, life performance and good on you. And please send me some tips how I can be better because I always love to learn from other people. But hour 16 through 18 was kind of a challenge and I couldn't help but always think about these racers. Yeah, they got something they want really badly on the line and they got to get up and then they come down and then they get up and then they come down and they've got a rhythm and a routine. And as someone who has won some bracket races, uh, you know, you get into a groove and you groove it. But then when you have to put it away for the night, that's tough. So, yeah, I agree, Billy. That's something that we don't make a big enough deal about because it's assumed that you've got to be able to do it. Like if you can't do that, well, you're not going to win. So why even talk about it? But for an athlete, physical stamina is just as much a part of it. But they talk about it all the time. One team is getting worn down. You come down to the Miami Dolphins, play the Miami Dolphins in, uh, you know, September there's a good chance that the opponent is going to get worn down because of the heat and the humidity. That's conditioning. Conditioning. Yeah, I know we got a lot of fat people, but mental conditioning to be able to maintain stamina throughout eliminations. Yeah, did I just say that? No, but it's true. Not all drag racers are the physical, most physically fit people, but they're able to maintain physical and mental stamina, not break like, even the way you let go of a button or the way you hold your feet on the pedals. You can get into some very bad habits that change your reaction time. And when does that stuff happen? When you become tired. So I think it's a great point, Billy. And, uh, and we'll see. We'll see. Like whoever did, Lauren Freer was grooving. Are you in the hot dog eating contest? I did a hot dog eating contest on the air one time. That's kind of where I got the idea for the Norwalk ice cream eating contest. It's like a bit of a ripoff, except we did the Nathan's hot dog eating contest years ago on 560 AM. And uh, in the exact amount of time that Joey Chestnut 
can't eat like 70 hot dogs. I was able to eat five and a half hot dogs and I felt very terrible afterwards. I do not recommend it, which is why our Norwalk ice cream eating contest is not about quantity. I think that is dumb. We are drag racers. It's about speed. How much can you eat in 60 seconds? And the runtime is great. If you didn't watch it, and I'll, I'll, I, I don't mind breaking the fourth wall here. I don't know if people like don't like the bit or I, I think it's hysterical. It's a funny comedic bit. Do drag racing fans not get the idea of comedy? Do comedy and drag racing and having a little bit of laugh at the expense of a racer who's participating in something silly? Does it like bother the, the, the mechanical nature of the sport? Like, I don't know, but we had a good time. But I don't know. It, it just it's it. They they never you know they they should do better on the social with these drivers uh, doing a great job. We're going to keep doing it uh, regardless, though. Parks, come on, Parks. Let's go. O's went to the game on Sunday. Definitely not a Yankees fan. Well, you know you don't identify with greatness, Jim, like we do. That's all right. Can give you twenty seven reasons, but I'm really going there for my nephew. It's not really about the Yankees or whether they win. I could care less. My little nephew is up in Cooperstown right now, participating in a week-long travel tournament, sleepaway camp-type baseball experience. And the culmination of that is going to be a trip to Yankee Stadium to experience the mecca of Yankee baseball. And so that's why I'm going up. If they, you know, I want them to win, but it's not really about whether they win or like We're without judge. We're, you know. I have no illusions that we're going to win the World Series this year. I would have went for some pie. Yeah, who doesn't? So much for Joe's diet. Three pints of ice cream. I did I did one moose tracks and two of this raspberry fudge cordial thing that they had, which is my new favorite. While some were disappointed that mint chocolate chip was no longer available, I was super excited because I found many great ice creams that I enjoyed. Uh, Galvin had butter pecan with cashew. Awesome. There was a lot of stress and anxiety about the ice cream situation going in, and uh, all of that turned out to be much ado about nothing. Anything new on series sponsorship, NHRA Bud Light Series, maybe. Aha, your humor, Stan. You're like a real comedian there. That's a big story, but that story is for the 2024-2025 season. Give the folks at the National Hot Rod Association and Camping World the credit and the time and the space to do what they got to do to pitch the sport to hopefully a big non-endemic company that can uh, take us to another level. The amount of G's, the fuel guys uh, pull, in my opinion, doesn't get talked about enough true athletes. They really are. Think of the beating on your body, just accelerating and then decelerating over the weekend. How about the crew guys? No one ever talks about the crew guys. Never crew guys. Like who is the most underappreciated people in drag racing? Well, you know, the safety safari, we try, clearly it's the track announcers, the NHRA safety safari. We try very, very hard to single them out and make sure everybody knows that they are vital. They're there first. They stay last physical hard work in the heat. Very difficult, underappreciated but we spend a lot of time doing that crew members deserve more the physical nature of what they do tearing a car down and building it back up while on the clock in a competitive atmosphere there's not enough 
attention paid to that as a, a, a an athletic slash mechanical feat. A pit road team in NASCAR gets a lot more love, appreciation, media, uh, public understanding than does a drag racing team who is doing way more than a pit road team. You jump across the wall, you change some tires, you jump back across the wall in 17 seconds. You service an entire car, you take it down to the bare block, you rebuild it back, you set it up to race again in 40 minutes. I know seconds is fewer than minutes, but the amount of work, effort, and winning and losing is directly connected to that. So the guys that are on the cruise in NHRA drag racing, they are the ones who are getting the ultimate short end of the stick when it comes to coverage. Now, there's a bunch of reasons why. There's a bunch of reasons why, which we could talk about that on another day. But there's reasons why. Like when NASCAR mandated that everybody have their name on their shirt, that was a reason so that each one of those athletes, let's call them athletes, was identifiable. Like, who is this? Who is this person? So when you're a, a media person from 50 feet away, you could say, you know, Johnson just made a good move. In drag racing, they've got everybody just wearing the same crew shirt. And yes, guys like me are working very hard to know everybody and everybody's name and everybody's job and every situation on 16 different teams and four different categories. But it's tough. It's tough. It would be so much easier if the teams put these guys' names on their shirts. But then you got to have like nine different custom shirts as opposed to just getting the same shirt nine times. And that's probably a lot more expensive. But I think it would be benefit. I think everybody should have to have a name tag. Just my opinion. What do I know? Up 18 hours in Vegas is nothing. Oh, what? With the pumped-in oxygen stand? Yeah drinking uh, scotch on the rocks, champagne cocktails, right? Yeah, no, it's different. But those poker players, I don't see how they do it either. Pros focus on four rounds in a day. Freer was rocking and then shut down for the night and then come back for single runs and two final rounds and won both. Very impressive, absolutely. AJ says, great show today. Uh, I personally enjoy the ice cream eating contest. Says Jim, thank you, Jim. Thank you. And no, everybody that checks it out seems to enjoy it if they get humor. But again, whatever. Comedy is a timing thing. We're all about timing. Yeah. Hi, sir. It's me, Brenlin, who loves Ron Caps. Hey, Brenlin. How are you? Oh, the little girl. Did you see your, uh, you were on the show last week. I played it. Yeah, you were on there, out there in Thunder Valley. What's up, Brenlin? How are you? You love Ron Caps. Very sweet kid. Smart, smart little person. Love knowing that there's young people that are smart and they're going to be doing a good job in the future. Jim Parks, I toured Yankee Stadium a few years back. I've been uh, to more drag strips and baseball stadiums, but like to visit all of both. Yeah, me too. That's kind of a thing amongst the NHRA community. A lot of people go to baseball stadiums in between because you can't, you know, they don't play football on Wednesday. Crew guys, safety safari, concert roadies, unsung heroes that make things happen without any love. So true. The concert roadies like, yeah, the roadies. They, you know, when was the last time a band is like, hey, we want to acknowledge the roadies. But we all know the roadies get their benefits. Free food, I hear. Beverages. 
Well, to be fair, the pit road teams in NASCAR have a uh, trackable stat. We would need a numeric stat for the NHRA pit crews. Yeah, we do. It's called race wins and round wins. And they keep that um, that time. It's just not publicly disseminated. You can bet that every one of those teams knows the amount of minutes that it was from pulling to the pits to fired and back on the ground. That's a time that they keep. They know it. I talked to uh, Alex on Hagen's team, and he has given me that time a whole bunch of times. 27 minutes, 37 minutes, 40 minutes, and back and fired. And it's associated. That stat is kind of associated with gung-ho, with motivated, with firing on all eight. Like that, that number from tear down to warm up to on the ground and ready to go. Should it be tracked by the series? Like we can't let the teams give us their numbers because they might, you know, they might change the numbers. We can't let someone police themselves in terms of a stat. That means we would have to have an official in every pit putting the stopwatch on it. Like you can't do that. Some things that drag racing is a little more challenging a couple more comments put your comments in the comment section and then we'll get out of here but i want to tell you about the people who make it possible uh for wfo to be a thing like frank holly's drag racing school the dragster adventure frankholly.com july 24th they're going to be out there at bandamere guys this is your last chance go to frankholly.com of course marvin rodak 817-924-6821 coffee hot sauce spice rub everything good and then there's samtech.edu the school of automotive machinists and technology Start your education at full speed. We need machinists in this country, guys. We need people who know what to do. And if you aren't locked in on a career, maybe you're a veteran. They're approved to train veterans under the GI Bill. You can use your GI Bill to become a machinist. Check it out. little update on Project Pontiac. We are moving forward. We got a block. We've got a crank. We've got rods. We are working on pistons. We are working on everything that's going to turn our old bracket car, a car that was bought brand new by my dad in 1978 that I was able to win a Super Pro Track Championship with back in the day. But can we go super street racing with it? That is the goal. That's what I want to do. I want to be out there racing against some of my NHRA friends, people that I have only said their names on the mic. Maybe someday I will line up next to one of them. How interesting would that be? We're going to follow that story on WFO radio, not to mention total seal piston rings, FTI performance transmissions and torque converters. The folks at Foggit, F-O-G-G-I-T.com, Bernie Speed Shop and Phillips Connect make WFO radio possible. Is there anything else that I wanted to tell you about? Yes, there is. Palm Beach International Raceway and the track in West Palm Beach, Florida. But only after I finish. A couple more comments. Stan. Now he's speaking my language. How will Ferrari mess up this weekend? Oh, there's too many potential opportunities, Stan. We just have to sit back and watch and be entertained by their uh, failures and ineptitude of the uh, prancing stallion, prancing horse. So sad. Clay does a good job of highlighting his crew. Yes, Clay does do a good job. He's got a YouTube channel. He does a good job of highlighting his crew. Absolutely. I hope to get to see Ron Caps again. I love him. He's my best friend and favorite person. Way to go, Becca. That's so, so cool. Uh, Caps is a good guy. Everybody loves Caps. He won that Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. Seen countdown clocks in some pits. Great show today. 
I love drag racing and especially Bill Bader Summit Raceway Park. So good seeing you and uh, all of the fans there. Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate you. Yeah, Lauren was so positive out there with uh, Tony Bogolo, and they were just loving it, loving it, loving it. And that's the thing. That's why when people take any time to run down the sport or say something like negative, it's like you need to be hanging out with Lauren because they're having a blast. So I don't know what's up with you guys, but these, these people that I'm hanging with are loving it. They are loving what's going on. Get well soon, WJ, definitely. Hope to see the new track in West Palm Beach. Yeah, get that project card done. I can see it now, Super Street, the Joes versus Joe. Yeah, Joe versus pros, again. They're pros as far as I'm concerned. I will go into that situation as a decided underdog with very little chance to beat the Super Street regulators in Division Two. It will be a near impossible task, but we will go in there. We will fight, fight, much the way we did in Palm Beach. All right, here's the deal, drag fans. And this is how I will part ways with you on this given occurrence. Tomorrow, I'm thinking no show unless Leah is available. And if Leah is available, then I'm going to put out the clarion call and ask you guys uh, to sign on and check out Leah on the show tomorrow. That's up in the air. Thursday, we've got Hartford, we've got Hector, and we've got Blake in a super show. So it's going to be great. You've all hopefully been following the story of Palm Beach International Raceway. Me going up there and giving speeches and Madeline Marconi coming on the show, working real hard in the face of tremendous adversity, not only from the people who didn't want to keep it a drag strip, but from a lot of local racers who said that we were wasting our time, that we should never try to fight city hall and try to fight big money power and that we were wasting our times and it would be best to just do nothing. I heard that from a lot of people, but we went up there and we fought the fight and we lost. And as the blade of the dagger went into the heart of Palm beach international raceway and twisted one of the commissioners said, you guys have done such a tremendous job of showcasing your passion for the sport and why it's important to the local community. She said that we, meaning her, has a 128-acre parcel in her district that was going to be an ATV park, but then switched to something else and had no purpose. Perhaps they could turn it into a drag strip or a racetrack or a multi-purpose motorsports facility. And everybody kind of got their hopes up like, wow, okay. And in the moment, I will be very honest with you, as positive as I am, I am also a realist. We're going to go in there. We're going to make our case and we're going to fight the fight, but losing is possible. And my expectations were not high. So I kind of felt like maybe they're showing us a shiny something else to get us to forget about the thing that we really want. Look at the bird. Oh, look at the bird. Where's the thing I wanted? Oh, it's gone but took them at their word. So this past Wednesday, a week ago, Wednesday was the first town hall meeting to discuss the new track. What would they do? Where would it be? How would it be? What would be involved? Should we do it? Should we have it? Who's yay and who's nay? And they prepared for 80 people to show up. They were like, if 80 people show up, this would be a big deal. But as the racers, and I couldn't be there, unfortunately, but I did have my spies there. My little birds were all around gathering information and sending out photographs that I tweeted out and pushed out there as best as I can on WFO Joe and WFO Radio. If you don't follow me, I'm like, I don't know why. But when the crowd had expanded to 120 people, they had to move some of those 
flexible walls that they do for these big uh, centers, you know. And then when the crowd ultimately surged to 400 people who were advocating on behalf of a racetrack and a racing facility, the message was sent. And so now the commissioner and the local mayor and all these folks are jazzed about the concept of having a multi-purpose motorsport facility that I believe will be cornerstoned by a drag strip just south of West Palm Beach, Florida. And I'm super excited about it. And the folks at NHRA are making themselves available and involved to help. There's a local group that is gathering together finances to help with it. This thing has gone from glimmer of hope to genuinely possible through the hard work of Madeline Marconi making the case, great messenger, and all the people that have been showing up. I've showed up sometimes, but not all times. When I, when I can't make it, someone else makes it. And it was all about the people who dreamed big that things could happen, who refused to just give up in the face of adversity. Now, will it happen? We don't know. There's no way to know. But we're going to see it through. We're going to fight the fight. And so there's hope. What does that mean to you? Well, in your life and local community, number one, don't listen to the naysayers because they're out there. There's a bunch of them. There's but no, nah, don't bother. You're going to lose. Take your energy from the people who tell you, yes, you can. You can do it and support you. And two, when it comes to local government, just because you don't get exactly what you want, which was the preservation of the old track, doesn't necessarily mean that by making a professional case as to why it's important, you might not get something that might even be better. That might even be better. And that is where we'll part ways today. Yeah, I go on these rants at the end of the show. Sometimes I think to myself, should I just end it right after the interview so people don't have to hear what I think? You know, you're so wound up after the show. Like, you got to burn off some more energy, really. I know, I know. Is Amanda going to be at Denver with it being the last NHRA national event? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to assume so. Amanda was there this weekend. I didn't see Amanda once. Did not cross paths with Amanda. It was... She was out doing uh, NASCAR in Nashville and then came in on Saturday, which is why I was on HRA on Fox on Friday. Of course, it rained on me. I got to uh, do some pit interviews, though. Had some fun. But Amanda, I would imagine, will be in Denver. But, you know, there's plenty of time to hear about it. Jim Head said in an interview, they never test past the 660. Okay, I don't know why you're bringing that up right now, but uh, maybe Reinhardt said that earlier. See, to me, what I have learned in my experience doing this is that even when you smoke the tires, you learn something. And every time you fire a nitro car, you're learning something that may be applicable. So I guess we'd have to go to Jim and we could talk to Blake on Thursday. Like, Blake, you guys tested, but then you won. How are they related? And Blake will tell us, not at all. Or maybe he'll say they were. We just don't know. Jim Parks. Nice work, Joe. You're quite the ambassador for the sport. Yes and no. Not really. I hope I just am a guy who likes drag racing and I do a show and some people can enjoy it and some people hate hate me viciously. I just keep working. Keep doing my thing. 
Poor Jason Logan experienced hatred this weekend. It's tough stuff, but it is what it is. You know, you, you go out there, you do what you like until they tell you to stop. All right, guys, appreciate all of you. Download the app, share the show with somebody if you think it's worthy. We appreciate all of you and rest in peace, Kathy Maynard.